This presentation of the USA CBD Conference is brought to you by IndustryPods.com in conjunction with Immortal, a well-being beverage company, bringing you Immortal Nitro Super Coffee and now Immortal Super Immunity Shot with Hemp Extra. All is well at Immortal.com. That's I-M-M-O-R-D-L.com. As we get ready for our next guest, Eric is the founder and CEO of the Veterans Cannabis Coalition. It's a nonprofit advocacy group dedicated to ending cannabis prohibition and ensuring that the Department of Veteran Affairs researches and develops cannabis based medications. Veterans Cannabis Coalition was founded by Iraq War veterans to meet the need for professional, passionate, and independent advocacy. Please welcome to the stage, Eric Gopal. Thank you everyone, and thank you uh, USA CBD Expo for bumping me up to the main stage and allowing me to close out the night. My name is Eric Opel. I am the founder of the Veterans Cannabis Coalition. I am an Iraq war veteran. I did two tours in Iraq over a seven year enlistment. I uh, deployed also to the Philippines and worked as a defense contractor in Afghanistan following my service. After all of that, I ended up back in college in DC uh, at the end of my uh, time in college and then finally uh, working for a veteran service organization where I saw the need for a professional and persistent advocate working on this issue in Congress. My co-founder is another Iraq war veteran, Bill Ferguson, who is currently holding down the fort in Washington, DC. And as you can see behind me, we have a basic outline of what we do. It really breaks down into advocacy, education, and organization. So what we're looking at as both veterans and people who use cannabis in this country is that we face a federal prohibition that makes research incredibly difficult and of course enables a institution that criminalizes and can, you know, up to killing you know, US citizens over the possession of a plant. Now, veterans as a specific case have an interesting uh, claim that they can essentially make in terms, we're a federal population that the federal government has an obligation to care for. The Department of Veterans Affairs is a $200 billion agency with 350,000 employees and 1,100 clinics and hospitals all over the country. They treat about 6 million veterans every year, uh, any given year, uh, for, uh, for medical care. And the chart behind me kind of gives, gives you a sense of, you know, when we talk about the veteran suicide and overdose crisis, you know, what are we actually looking at? You can see that at this, in the same period of time, there's been almost a 50% increase in suicides in the general population, while there's just been a relatively slight increase in veteran suicides. However, what that chart doesn't really tell you is that that 15 years, that flat line right there, that's 100,000 veteran deaths by suicide. Now, this is an issue that Congress theoretically cares about, but what we've been faced with is essentially ignoring one of the main factors driving the veteran suicide and overdose crisis, which is something that, we co that is called, uh, 
which is, uh, you know, looking beyond just opioids as far as a factor and looking at the entire cocktail of pharmaceuticals that many veterans are prescribed uh, for common veteran conditions. You can see that opioids, especially prescription opioid deaths, uh, have reduced pretty dramatically since uh, the FDA and CDC have put out guidelines and the DEA has essentially been coming after um, you know, doctors who are prescribing opioids to patients and has created a, a, uh, a pendulum swinging effect from legal prescription opioids that were, were perhaps misprescribed or you know, people got exposed to through non, you know, without being prescribed to now you have chronic pain patients like many veterans who were stable on opioids and now being forced to essentially, you know, being forced to taper off with no real alternatives. And so what, you know, and in the, in the case where in California or other legal states, they might have the option of using something like cannabis as an alternative to opioids. However, that is not, that is not something that is prescribed or covered by the VA or any, you know, medical healthcare system in this country. So within the veteran community, there's a term for the regimen of prescription pills that are regularly prescribed to uh, not just combat veterans, but essentially a, a vast, vast uh, variety of veterans who all are dealing with very similar issues. Uh, chronic pain, sleep disturbance, um, you know, PTSD is quite common, but it's of course, uh, you know, not uh, endemic across the entire, you know, veteran population. It's about 20, 25%, depending on the era. Uh, but, what, but when we talk about things like chronic pain and sleep, those are two uh, symptoms that essentially millions of veterans deal with, and that the, the drugs that they are regularly prescribed for those two conditions alone have created, uh, you know, massive negative feedback loops, you know, in their healthcare. It's hard enough, you know, dealing with a lot of these complex and overlapping conditions just on their own. But when you have a pharmaceutical load uh, that you are you know, being legally, you know, not necessarily compelled, but in some cases you are compelled by the, you know, you, there is at least the, the feeling of being compelled by the VA to take these drugs. You know, and, and what does, you know, what does the long-term effect of, you know, taking a benzodiazepine and, you know, and gabapentin, you know, and a sedative and a sleep aid, you know, for years in some cases, right? How, how is anyone really supposed to ever recover or get healthy taking those kind of, you know, known toxic substances, right? Uh, Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which includes ibuprofen, acetaminophen, aspirin, you know, things of that nature. Those are associated with 14,000 deaths a year. Now, we've, we've heard a lot about CBD. Obviously, this is a CBD expo. You know, just as an anti-inflammatory, CBD offers, you know, similar efficacy to a lot of the anti-inflammatories sold over the counter today. What, they, what CBD doesn't bring is, of course, kidney, liver, and gastrointestinal, uh, you know, damage, right? Especially when taking in large doses over long periods of time. So behind me are a couple uh, sections, you know, I, that I've exerted from a few news stories over the last few years. And you can see 2011 to 2017, right? This is basically the same experience uh, that that, veterans are, that uh, veterans are going through. You know, there's not really anything in the VA formulary uh, to, P to treat PTSD other than antidepressants. Paxil and Zoloft are the only two drugs FDA approved to treat uh, PTSD, but of course that does not stop doctors from prescribing 
a bevy of pharmaceuticals with very little evidence off-label. So, I've kind of laid out a bit of the problem that we're facing. We have an overdose crisis that is driven not just by opioids, but a variety of legal pharmaceuticals and alcohol. We have a suicide crisis that is in large part driven uh, by the pharmaceutical load that veterans are taking, and yet it is not addressed at all in Congress. Now, what myself and many other veterans have discovered is that cannabis has, be, you know, cannabis serves as an excellent alternative, not just to the pharmaceutical drugs that we were being prescribed, but as a tool to help us manage and live a, a high-quality life. And you can kind of get a sense, you know, if you, if you were taking eight to ten drugs to treat, you know, your, your, uh, you know, your overlapping complex issues, and you had the option of taking one drug that managed all those issues better than the eight drugs you were taking, and didn't come with the risk of overdosing or toxicity, would you take it? I, mean, I know I would. And four, and a half, four million, uh, estimated four million veterans also use cannabis. So the American Legion and Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, both two veteran service organizations, have done surveys in the past looking at veteran cannabis use. 20, uh, more than 20% over about three surveys uh, of veterans surveyed, which equates about 4 million over the 19 million population of veterans, uh, use cannabis to treat their service-connected issues. So, I mean, that's about, tw you know, 20% of the population is about double the normal use of cannabis among adults. So you can kind of see that, why are veterans so attracted to cannabis? Well, I think I've laid out a pretty good, pretty good case as to the why. Because suicide and overdose, especially uh, when you understand that the drugs you're taking factor into that, become a lot less appealing once, you have, once you've both felt and, you know, felt and witnessed the effects yourself or seen it in you know, your fellow veterans. You know, what we, you know, obviously we're here talking about CBD you know, which has been legalized under the Farm Act of 2018. Uh, well, at least as a CBD as a hemp derivative, excuse me. Um, you know, but what we're facing is a much bigger issue, right? You know, CBD being legalized is an excellent move forward. However, it does not actually answer the bigger question, which is how do we get rid of prohibition? Because cannabis prohibition, putting cannabis as a plant, as a Schedule One substance, and then all of the criminal and uh, civil you know, penalties that come along with using this in the wrong jurisdictions is an incredible betrayal of, I think, our basic uh, concept of what we, under, what we understand liberty to be. The idea that we, that we feel okay that the federal government is enabled to imprison and, and kill, uh, you know, many, you know, agents of, the, agents of the state, whether state, you know, federal or local police, have killed many people. With, you know, in the, in the pursuit of a cannabis crime. You know, and, and that raises the question, right? Like, how, you know, how does the enforcement, the draconian enforcement over the last 80 years that has been largely racist and classist in its application, how do we defend that? Why are we not focusing on ending this? Because this is the big killer, right? It didn't, and not just of veterans. It didn't, cannabis prohibition has denied all of us 80 plus years of potential research into the 140 plus cannabinoids that we now understand to be present in the plant. And the fact that so many people have had such miraculous personal experiences using cannabis, uh, particularly when compared to you know, legal pharmaceuticals, like we refuse to even 
you know, accept the lived experiences of others, right? And that's a huge, I, I think, oversight on our part. Uh, of course, not for people here. I think we're all basically on the same page as far as the efficacy of cannabis and what we uh, believe the potential of it to be. But this is, not a, this is not a message that's well communicated to your representatives, your federal representatives especially. You know, and this is, you know, this is where we get into the advocacy portion of what we do. I'm here as an advocate. You know, I, uh, one of our uh, big accomplishments as advocates, um, in 2018, we helped, we helped move the VA Medicinal Cannabis Research Act, which became the first standalone cannabis reform bill to ever advance through a congressional committee. It's a procedural victory, but it, it did show that there was at least a appetite for actual cannabis reform. What we saw last year was the passage of the Safe Banking Act in the House, which I'm not super excited about as a patient advocate because it doesn't really address any of the things that patients are dealing with. But hey, it's a cannabis reform bill that uh, made it made it through a you know successfully made it through a House vote. So what we see now is that okay, there's like the path has 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 uh, you know the path is starting to become clear to us as to how how are we going to pursue ending cannabis prohibition. Um, as veterans, uh, and, and how are we going to help, you know, hopefully build the national coalition necessary to take on prohibition? Because it's not something that veterans themselves are capable of uh, eliminating just by fiat, right? Like, we need millions of people from across this country who actually give a shit about cannabis and are willing to let their elected members of Congress and their senators know about the, you know, their feelings. And not, not only their feelings, their experiences. So, great, uh, perfect example, Orrin Hatch used to be the uh, senior senator from Utah, very old, Mormon, um, not particularly someone you think of as a cannabis advocate, and yet someone in his personal network had a positive experience with at least CBD, and that spurred him to co-sponsor a CBD research bill. That ended up going nowhere. But, hey, that's not someone, that's not a traditional ally that you would expect in the cannabis space, and yet, that, that basically, show, that to me, shows the power of personal uh, stories. And, and that's why I think veterans, uh, veterans uh, are able to create, or are great messengers for that. Because there are very few, there are very few other groups in society that are, that are held, or put on a pedestal and sort of given the credibility that veterans in the military community are, for better or worse. You know, and that gives us, as veterans, an opportunity to message, you know, to, to spread these messages for people who would not otherwise not necessarily be, you know, uh, be heard or listened to. Not because they don't have, you know, important things to say, but, you know, we, we live in a society that, uh, you know, uh, often does not believe patience, unfortunately. You know, and, and, but veterans, for a variety of reasons, have a little bit more uh, juice, especially when it, comes, uh, in the federal in, when it comes to federal legislation. So, you know, seven years in the military, you know, uh, three tours, you're in Afghanistan, right? Like, I've got a sense of, you know, and then years in D.C. afterward, I have a sense of the parallels that exist between, you know, when you're, what you're trying to accomplish in terms of, what is the ultimate goal that we want to get to, and how do we get there? And what resources do we need to do that? And the thing is, it's money. I don't, I don't know if any of you are following the presidential election, uh, and this is not to cast aspersions on any one candidate, but there is one candidate who is a billionaire 
running for the uh, Democratic primary, who has spent millions and millions of dollars supporting politicians, right? Not necessarily politicians that he needed something from in the, you know, immediately, but now the chips are coming in, right? And I look around and I, I ask myself, what is the cannabis industry doing? You know, are, you know, is the industry actually supporting politicians who are on their side? California, you know, I, I'm from California, uh, you know, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, she's, she represents San Francisco, the birthplace of cannabis legalization in this country, right? Uh, you know, lar uh, the legalization, you know, the, the Prop 215 medical uh, cannabis legalization was, help was in part led by a, a gay Vietnam veteran named Dennis Barone. You know, you know, I look at San Francisco and I'd say, what, you know, what is the industry doing uh, to help Nancy Pelosi? This, this could be your biggest advocate in Congress. Imagine getting the Speaker of the House on your side, right? We're nowhere close to legalization. We can't even get a research bill that, that has pretty massive, you know, pretty large bipartisan support. And, you know, and we can't get that through, right? The idea that we're, gonna, that we're anywhere close to looking, you know, to getting legalization passed, we're years away because we haven't even done any of the basic threshold incremental steps to get to legalization, and Congress just doesn't really move in big jumps like, uh, you know, I think like a lot of people hope. Now, there's the opportunity that an executive order might be coming down in the next year, um, but, you know, a federal, an executive order can only deschedule cannabis. It can't change, you know, state laws, and it has a limited impact when it comes to the actual, or the biggest harms of prohibition, which usually happen in the end of law enforcement, which is usually state and local. You know, so how, again, so what are we, uh, what are we trying to do? This is the bill that we have been supporting since 2018. We were able to move this, to give you an example of how frustrating it is to be an advocate in DC, we were able to move this bill under Republican leadership in 2018 and have failed to do so under Democratic leadership in 2019 and 2020. There are a lot of folks in Congress who represent districts and states that have legal cannabis, that support legal cannabis, uh, whether it's CBD or THC or, you know, whatever, however their medicinal or, or adult use laws are uh, structured, who are not on, on the side of cannabis in any real shape or form. You know, we don't really know how many people are going to be on our side when, we, when it comes to trying to pass a legalization bill. You know, and that's, and that's the only way this gets fixed. You know, doing this state by state, uh, you, know, uh, you know, piecemeal, you know, regulation, this, you know, th 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 this has to happen right now because there is no other way forward. But at the same time, this is not something that should be, held, should be looked at as, as the end goal, right? We need a federal, uh, I mean, it might be lightly regulated, but we need some sort of overarching federal regulation to come into play you know, as it relates to cannabis, and particularly as it relates to the scheduling of, the, of cannabis. I mean, in our, in, our, in our feeling, it should be descheduled completely and treated somewhere, well, basically be treated like any other uh, consumer product, you know, package good. If you want to, if you want to uh, make a medical claim about your cannabis product, take it through an FDA process. If you want to sell it OTC or sell it as a nutritional supplement, great. You know, pass the quality and purity standards that are required of those substances. You don't have to recreate the wheel for cannabis, right? These cannabinoids, you know, the, you know the, the movers and shakers in the plant, they can be isolated. I mean, we understand that there are, you know, many of them, and we understand that they also work in conjunction. They also sometimes work in isolation. But ultimately, 
the amount of research that's going to be need to, that's, that will need to be done in those substances is far beyond anything the private industry is going to generate, which brings us back to why we support the research and development of cannabis-based drugs through the VA. Because essentially anything the VA does is going to be publicly owned. Right? They, and in the past, they've, had, they've shown the ability to, uh, to create some pretty, um, pretty exciting and, and uh, you know, me uh, medical breakthroughs. The hepatitis C vaccination, uh, the nicotine patch, the pacemaker. You know, all these things have come out of the VA. They train 70% of the country's doctors. Wouldn't it be great if the VA had a standardized uh, you know, endocannabinoid system education in place? There's a lot of tools at our disposal. Right, we understand that there are ways to get the things, to get, you know, you know, that there are ways to get this done. But ultimately, it's going to be, you know, it's everyone in this building right now, right? Who do you vote for? Who do you support? Do you ever let, you know, have you ever, you know, uh, do you vote at all? Like, have you ever contacted your member of Congress about anything, let alone cannabis, right? You know, the hungry, you know, closed mouths don't get fed, squeaky wheels get the grease, right? So I think it's about time that the millions of cannabis patients and cannabis consumers that exist in this country actually make themselves, you know, known and heard. Um, you know, veterans can help, right? I, I like to think that we can help provide a lot of cover for people, right? Because essentially it's, it's a lot harder to, for someone to... Uh, especially, you know, on the more conservative side of, of our political spectrum, uh, to criticize it when it's coming from someone that they also constantly lift up and say, thank you for your service and, you know, everything else, right? If you want to thank a veteran for your service, help, and, help end cannabis prohibition. That's the best I could tell you. Um, so I think I'll leave it there and uh, open it back up for any questions uh, that the audience might have. I actually have a question. What can we do to help end the cannabis prohibition? Like, what could the everyday person do to help? So, I mean, I, I think definitely talking to your member of Congress, there, there's a few different uh, organizations that allow you to do, um, you know, send, like, automated emails or texts to your members. Uh, Normal, uh, the National Organization for the Former Marijuana Laws, is a big proponent of that, Marijuana Policy Project. Uh, we have our own little uh, call-to-action tool, um, so if you ever, if you want to, you know, uh, help support veteran legislation specifically, if you're interested, uh, text 52886, or excuse me, text VCC to 52886. Um, it'll send you a link, and you can send, uh, you know, basically letters that we uh, that we pre-formatted um, addressing specific issues that we've addressed that we brought up today. But yes, I mean, civic civic participation is the best way, right? Like this is this is a mass movement. Right now, we have the masses, but no movement. Are there any other questions? What's up, brother? I'm an Army vet, five years, infantry, um, first Gulf War. Um, so my question is, I was just hanging out with a Marine friend down in San Diego, and she was telling me, like, yeah, we could put CBD on our body, but we can't have Check, check. Um, is there any, like, thought and movement of, like, how we can reach to the DOD to educate, like, the Surgeon General as things get more legalized? 
I would like to talk to you more later, but like, has there been any brainstorming of how as veterans we can like reach out to the DOD and start educating them? Because we also know that trauma continues on even in service and it's not cannabis in the sense of THC, but if we can somehow start within the DOD to implement CBD within those ranks, that might be something, you know? I totally agree. And I think a great uh, example of a military that uses cannabis is the Israeli military, the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, my understanding is that there is a CBD nasal spray that they will use on troops who are exposed to uh, explosive blasts. Right? Now you think of how many veterans have traumatic brain injuries, how many traumatic brain injuries have been misdiagnosed as PTSD or depression or other issues, mainly because the VA will not pay to basically analyze the brain of every veteran. Right? So if you've never reported a, you know, a specific uh, traumatic brain injury, and, you know, and if your doctor doesn't feel like you know, that might be indicated, well, then you might never know. You know and that's the reality. So you know, talking about CBD and the DOD, it, it, it breaks down, you know, it goes back into, into prohibition. right? There's only one FDA-approved CBD product on the market, Epidiolex. Right? G made by G GW Farm, 99% uh, CBD isolate and a sesame oil, right? Efficacy, hard to say. We understand we you need at least you know, trace amounts of THC to, to really get the, you know, the max of efficacy out of a CBD product, but that's not the case in this. Um, you know, what, we, what needs to happen, though, is there needs to be more uh, companies who are willing to take uh, these products through the FDA process, and that's not easy. I mean, it's four years, and it's millions of dollars. Right? I mean, it's a, I think it's like two and a half million dollars just for an application for a new drug. Um, so it's a significant capital stake, which again sort of brings us back into DOD, $740 billion agency, right? Certainly has the capacity to do this research itself. And it should, because if it gives a shit, right, about its soldiers long term, uh, and, or if it just wants to reduce its, you know, if it wants to you know, make, make people, make soldiers more effective or whatever, right, like this would be a far better choice than throwing 800 mil, you know, 3,200 milligrams a day of ibuprofen at somebody. So I agree, definitely needs to be in the DOD. Um, and uh, I actually have some fellow advocate friends who are going to be at South, South by Southwest next month who are presenting a panel specifically on that. Uh, basically calling on DOD to uh, embrace cannabis research. Are there any other questions? Going once? All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for your time, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak. And thank you again for CBD Expo and to all the crew for making this happen. This podcast was produced and presented by Industry Pods in conjunction with the USA CBD Conference in cooperation with Immortal, a well-being company. Any unauthorized use is strictly prohibited. Any and all trademarks are the property of their respective owners. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.